You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Let's just jump right into this today. If you've been tracking with us, we're going through the book of Luke in a series called Redefining Religion. So uh, uh, you can just follow along as I read. Uh, This is from Luke chapter 10. And and this story, if you, especially if you grew up in the church, even if you didn't grow up in church, uh, you would know of references or you've likely heard of references to the Good Samaritan. And, and that's the text that we're going to use today. And what I want you to do is as I read this passage, and I'm going to read this in two spots. So we're going to get the first half here, see what's going on. And, and, the, and then the second part where Jesus actually tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. What I want you to do is actually put on fresh glasses if you're reading or on, I don't know what you say with, with ears. Uh, but I want you to hear this Freshly for like, like you're hearing it for the first time because some of us have heard this since we were, you know, five years old and we could, we know what happens in the Good Samaritan, but the message here is so profound for us that for me, even though I've heard this countless times, it's one of the first stories that you hear if you grew up, grow up in Sunday school. Uh, I was, I was kind of rocked. My soul was kind of rocked at this story. And, and, and so I, I'm encouraging you and me, we're, we're going to put on fresh glasses as we go through this passage together. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I'm just going to read the first few verses and just kind of see what's going on here before Jesus actually tells the parable of the good Samaritan. But it says this in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus. So Jesus is conversing with different people. A lawyer stands up to put him to the test. Now, before we think of Uh, lawyer, kind of in our concept of what a lawyer is, this is referring to someone who's an expert in Old Testament law. So in our vernacular, that's more of a theologian. Um, And so uh, before you think it's some lawyer, it's an expert of Old Testament law. He puts Jesus to the test and he says this, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? It's almost like you're the expert. You tell me. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That was the lawyer who said this, or the the expert in the law, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So there's this conversation between Jesus and this Old Testament expert. And sometimes I think it's painted the picture. It's like this is hostile conversation. That's not necessarily that's not necessarily what's going on. It's just this man is putting him to the test. I mean, if if someone comes into our church and starts spouting out off things about the Bible, uh, we probably would want to put him to the test. Like, does this does this guy actually know what he's talking about? Is this actually true? And so. I think he asks a genuine question, one that we all ask and should ask. It's a good question that when God comes to establish his kingdom, what we call eternal life, am I going to be there? When God comes to bring this time of blessing for all of eternity, am I going to be a part of it? You know, how do, how do we inherit eternal life? How are we going to get there in, in, in God's time of blessing? It's a good question. And here we have this expert in Old Testament law because he thinks he knows the answer. You know, he, he thinks he knows the answer. And Jesus answers 
his question with a question. You know, you're the expert. You tell me, what does the Old Testament law say? And this man defined the Old Testament law in two great commandments, which we've heard in, which, which you can hear in other gospels. This time, it's the man, not Jesus, who says, firstly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those come directly from passages Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, which is a very famous text that talks about loving the Lord your God with all your, uh, you know, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then again, in Leviticus 19, 18, there's the explicit command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't believe in their conversation that, that, that it's, this is the means of our salvation. However, you can't deny that faith and works are inexplicably together, that when you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, you change. And in fact, This is the ethic of what it means to be God's people. No, we are not saved by these things, but we are saved to these things. I mean, this is the way that we are called to live. From the very beginning, God's people were to love God and love other people. And in fact, for all of eternity in what we would call the kingdom of God, this will be our defining ethic. We can't get away from this, Christians, that are primary ethic in this world and how we relate to God and how we relate to other people is love. We love as Christians. We can't get away from that. That is our primary ethic. And so when this man says this, in fact, it's a really good answer. Jesus even says, you've answered correctly. In fact, that's where we get our word orthodox. So this man was right. He was orthodox in his belief, in his words that he verbally could recite, he believed correctly. In fact, we probably would have him come speak at our churches because we, we trust what he said. This is, that was the right answer. He's an Orthodox theologian. <laughs> Here's so we're good so far. That's kind of the context of the parable of the Good Samaritan, this initial conversation. We're good so far. Here's the problem. And I've heard a lot in 2020, maybe the word that I've heard more than any other is the word deconstruction. And through some a lot of the things that we've experienced, there's a lot of people who are deconstructing how their view, what their view of the world was, what they grew up with, what they were taught, even in their faith, there's this period of deconstruction. It's like my kids, one of my favorite things my kids get for Christmas is Lego, because when I grew up, I was a Lego maniac. And so when when they get Lego for Christmas, I'm the one who I get to build it with them. Um, my daughter Rose got this set that you could build three different ways. So you build it one way and then you take it all apart. And then you find out there's a different way that it can actually look. And that's kind of what goes on, what's going on in a lot of, it's maybe what for you as you're listening, what's going on in your head, in your heart, that it's almost like you're taking all the pieces apart that you were taught, that you've always thought was true. And now, now realizing that you, it wasn't true and, and it can look very differently. That's really what deconstruction is. You're taking things apart and, and, and trying to put them back together again. And Jesus, for this man, 
even though this man was orthodox in his belief, he was right. Something inside of him was going on that was so wrong. And Jesus, in this short parable, and then just the next couple of verses, he is going to deconstruct everything that this man thought was true. This man had an experience, teaching, upbringing, and even prejudice that gave him a concept of what, especially what Jesus is going to pick on here, of what loving your neighbor as yourself was. And he couldn't be more wrong. Here's in a nutshell what this man believed. That your neighbor is defined by ethnicity, biology, or creed. That your neighbor is defined by ethnicity, biology, and creed. It says in verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, this man thinks he knows what this command actually requires to love your neighbor as yourself. And he believes that I've loved my people really well. I've done this really well. And it seems selfish that that's how he viewed loving your neighbor, but that's all he knew no other way. In fact, there's Jewish, uh, there's Jewish wisdom literature called the Syrac, which wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the inspired word of God, but it drew teachings from the word of God, but also twisted them. In fact, the Syrac even said in how it applied loving your neighbor was actually love the people that believe the same things as you, that are, are the same people. It's the people of God that you are supposed to love. But the Syrac actually commanded them do not help a sinner. In, 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 in a sense, it was anyone outside of that, don't love them, don't help them. In fact, a Gentile in the Syrac, you were commanded, if a Gentile came and needed your help, you were to, you were to tell them, be gone. That is, what, that is the background that this man brings into his correct verbal answer, and yet he couldn't have been more wrong. Now, that may seem harsh to us, even historically, like that, that's what they actually were commanded to do and, and, and taught to do. And actually, most of them lived like this. That may seem harsh to us. But in a lot of the ways that we operate here, even in the 21st century, many of you listening have held grudges against people. Maybe someone has done something to you. You've held grudges against people for years. And there's been no reconciliation. It's like, okay, you can love the people that have treated you well, but you've held grudges against people for years. Those who speak a different language, who don't understand, who don't have the background, who who are from a different church that you don't agree with, they're not your people. You don't have to love them. Some of us struggle with, we have a superiority complex when it comes to our race, our occupation, or even our age that we just think we're better than other people. And man, especially in this climate that we find ourselves with, when, some, when we don't agree with someone, 
When we don't have the same opinion as someone else, we don't share the same opinion as them, it's like we get an excuse, we get a free pass to just hate on them. And so, yes, it might seem harsh when it's like, you don't have to love those outside of your people. In fact, it's not that different. We shouldn't be so arrogant because it's not that different from how many of us operate on a day-to-day basis. We love the people that love us. We love our own people, but anyone outside of that, we're not obliged to love them. And so we really don't apply this any differently. However, Jesus is about to deconstruct everything that this expert in the law thought was true with a simple story. So I'm going to tell you the parable. And it's so profound. And it challenged me so much this week. Says this in verse 30. Jesus replies to the man. The man asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus replies and says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now you got to understand the priest and Levite, like this is the lead pastor and worship leader coming out of church. (laughs) I'll explain that in a second. But a Samaritan who was not God's people, or at least defined as God's people, who were, who, who, who were despised, who many, uh, many of God's people called them like half breeds because they were half Gentile. They weren't really God's people. And there was a historical hatred between these two people. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which would have been enough for about two or three days work. So a decent sum of money, enough to actually take care of him and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man says back, (laughs) now you got to understand, this man hates Samaritans. He has never, ever even considered that God's command to love your neighbor as yourself would apply to this person. And it's almost like he can't even get himself to say that it was the Samaritan who showed him mercy. And all he can say is the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, as he still says to us, you go and do likewise. There is so much we need to take away from this story. And yes, I've heard it so so many times, but in our day where there is so much division and so much hatred uh, between the other, you know, the other people, the people that are not my own people, we need this parable. Now, the focus isn't on the one who was hurt. 
And in, in fact, this this is this was more than a common experience. I mean, when when someone's going from this road where it says from Jerusalem to Jericho is an arid climate, it was hilly. It was known to be a dangerous road to take. And it says robbers stripped him, beat him, left him half dead on the side of the road. You know, that wasn't just, you know, made up. That happened. And two men walked by him, a priest and a Levite. And like I said, you got to understand that these were religious men, not just religious men, but religious leaders. Levites were like uh, 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 assistants to the priests to carry out their religious duties in the temple. And it says they've, they're coming down from Jerusalem. In fact, what I think Jesus is saying is these men had just finished their religious duties. They just led people in worship. This is like the lead pastor who just preached and, and the worship leader who just led the church in worship just coming out of church. Walking out of church, and you would think of anyone to show mercy, of anyone to show love to their neighbor, it would be these two, and yet these these two didn't walked on the other side of the road. Now, whether it was because they believed this man was unclean or, or, or he was already dead and therefore he was unclean, but it got me thinking. We don't really know, we can only speculate, but it got me thinking when when we are in church on Sunday mornings and we 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 come out of church. Do I use, do we use the love and grace from God that we receive at church when we gather together as, as a body? Do we use that love and grace from God to boost our own sense of security and purity that they didn't want to risk themselves? Or is it a call to extend that same love and grace to the world? Let me say that again. Do we use the love and grace that is given to us when we gather in church in worship to boost our own sense of security and purity? Or do we do we take that as a call to extend that love and grace to the world around us? Here were two men, just like this Old Testament lawyer, expert in the law, who were orthodox, and yet had no heart. I'm really concerned. That we are not just called to be right. We're called to love. Are evangelical Christians just concerned on being right? And have we become heartless? Yes, we want to be orthodox. Yes, we want to be correct and handle God's word well. But if we handle God's word well, we are called to love our neighbor as ourself. What I love about this parable, <laughs> that is the Samaritan, the hated one, now, it would be one thing for Jesus to tell this parable where it was a Jewish person. You know, if a Samaritan was beaten, laying half, you know, beaten on the side of the road. And then a Jewish person came and helped them out. Jesus takes it a step further <laughs> and tells these Jewish people, it was the Samaritan who was the hero of the story. Jesus deconstructs their views so much that he makes the hated one the hero of the story to make sure that they're not going out and loving their neighbor out of some twisted benevolence so that they can take the selfie and say, look what I've done for the world. No, Jesus actually makes the hated one the hero of the story. I love that. 
In fact, I believe that Jesus himself, in fact, he was called in other places a Samaritan because he was viewed as an outcast. They didn't accept him as one of God's people and he was called a Samaritan. And I believe Jesus, in a sense, is putting himself in the Samaritan's shoes that the hated one was actually the hero of the story. And they were the ones, not to save the day, but they were the ones beaten up on the side of the road who needed mercy, who needed love, and he was the one who gave it to them. Amen. But as the Samaritan, who proved to be the neighbor, as the man says at the end, He maybe wouldn't even admit it. But the one who, before I kind of look at a few details, I'm not going to take too much more time. It was the one who defined at the end in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. This word, I think, is the type of love specifically shown toward the outcast. The one you would think wouldn't deserve the love that you're showing. Matthew 9 verse 13, it's the same word. When Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. That passage is when Jesus calls a tax collector named Matthew and all of the chief priests and Pharisees and religious people are appalled that Jesus would sit down and dine with what they would define as sinners. How dare he show love to them? And Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Not even in Jesus' writing, but in, in, in James's book, in James chapter 2, he again, uh, it says that mercy, same word, triumphs over judgment. And the context of that statement is that it's identifying partiality that was existing in the church, that those with more socially and economically were shown more partiality than those who had less. And I believe that this mercy is love that is shown toward the other, the outcast, the one that no one expects you to love. This is the kind of love that is described in loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the kind of love, in fact, that deconstructs, that deconstructs your worldview. And I believe it's the kind of love that deconstructs even societies that changes them into the way that they were always intended to be, into the way that they will be for all of eternity in the kingdom of God. This is the ethic that Christians are to live right now and will live for all of eternity to love the outcast. Not our people. Not the ones that it's easy to love, not the people that everyone expects you to love, but the people nobody expects you to love. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself is. Just a couple couple last things. And what does that actually look like? First, th- first one is this. What does that kind of love look like? In verse 33, it says the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And it says this, when he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. That compassion is closely related to a word that we use called empathy. It's, it's, it's empathy for people who are in front of you. Neighbors are people who have a heart that does more than pump blood, as, as what was said by a famous commentarian. 
Empathy is a broken heart. It's to feel the same thing that another person feels. And so when this man is broken on the side of the road, empathy means when he views him with compassion, it means he also felt that same brokenness for this person. He had a heart. He had a broken heart. He was not some hard-hearted theologian. And also he had empathy for the person who was right in front of him, for the person who he saw. I think this is really key because sometimes we, we feel unable to help because we feel unable to do anything because there's so much brokenness in the world. It's like, how do I, and, and, and we feel, it's like, how do I do anything? And the encouraging thing for the, is this, like, how do I love my neighbor? Well, you can't do everything in the world, but what you can do is, is, is show empathy for the people that are right in front of you. And I think that's our first responsibility. The people that you see right in front of you that are broken, the people at the coffee shop, the people in your own house, the people at your school, the people at your job, those are the people that we firstly are, are to show empathy towards. Because here's the principle. Being a neighbor isn't defined by your ethnicity or your biology. But it seems like it's by your proximity. The people right in front of you. Secondly, Really simply, it says, he went on him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, gave him, uh, uh, supported with his own money. Here's just the simple, here's the simple uh, takeaway. He sacrifices from his own resources. He sacrifices from his own resources. I could say more than, I could say more about it than that. But the point is he uses what he already has, what God has given him in order to love his neighbor. Now, for different people, that's going to look differently. Some that's going to be more time. Some that's literally going to be more money. Some that's going to be more resources. But he sacrifices from his own resources. Thirdly is this, and I love this part. It says, he tells the innkeeper, brings it to the innkeeper, says, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you. And he says this, when I come back. So this wasn't just some one time. Here's my selfie. I'm going to post on Instagram and see I'm loving the world. And, and you never hear from him again. There is, here's the point, long-term commitment. Loving your neighbor means long-term commitment in order to see full restoration. One of our values at Restoration Church is neighboring. And what we mean by that is we're here for the long haul. We want to walk with people through full restoration. Because like, we're here. We're not just going to, we don't want to just fly in, do something, and fly out and never, see, never be seen from again. Because neighboring means long-term commitment. And that's really from the heart of Jesus as he's incarnated into the world, as he moves into our neighborhood, that he didn't just come in, do some crazy miracle and leave. He actually, he actually lived his life among us in our neighborhood to the point where he died on a cross. I could say more, but I got to wrap up. This is the kind of love that deconstructs. This is the kind of love that changes. This is the kind of love that changes societies. 
that changes cities. It's an act of love toward those who no one expects you to love. I was reading an article just this other, the other week, and it's about Robert and Mildred, ironically, whose last names were Loving. And I'll tell you why. It was ironic. Robert was a white man. Mildred was a black woman, actually half black, half Indian. Uh, And in 1967, they wanted to get married. They were in love. They wanted to get married. And at the time, in the state of Virginia, it's not that long ago. This is 1967. In the state of Virginia, it was illegal for people of two different races to get married. Not just between white and black, but of two different races, it was illegal to get married. Now, this hit me because my wife is a different race than me. Uh, She's Filipino. So if we grew up in the 60s, in if we if we were in love in the 60s in the state of Virginia we would not have been able to get married how crazy is that these two were just in love they lived in Virginia their families were from Virginia all they wanted to do was get married and then come back and live near their family so they went to Washington DC where it was legal at the time to get married uh, to have an interracial marriage and then they moved back to Virginia thinking that everything was good because it was legal in, in D.C. Well, one night, there was a uh, not even a knock on the door. Uh, police uh, rammed through the door, uh, went right into their bedroom, handcuffed them, and, and actually they were charged to one year in prison. <laughs> this is in the state of Virginia in 1967. Uh, Robert and Mildred didn't even have any vision of changing anything they just loved each other and it was through that story that actually uh, they started to change a country to deconstruct an entire society everyone just assumed This is what you do. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Until an act of love started to deconstruct all of that. They weren't trying to change the world. They were even, as it it was said, they were media shy. They didn't even want the spotlight. They simply wanted to be married and live in their home. Guys, loving your neighbor, loving the people no one expects you to love, I believe will change this world. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated toward us. Jesus as an outcast himself demonstrated toward us as we were laying on the side of the road. As he loved, he didn't have, he didn't have to love us. No one expected him to love us. No one, we, we didn't, he didn't, we didn't, we didn't deserve his love. And yet he gave of his own resources by giving his own life. He looked on us with empathy and compassion by sympathizing with our own weaknesses. And he brought full restoration. Man, I'm so thankful that Jesus firstly loved his neighbor so that now we are empowered to do the same thing here in this world. And man, this is what changes people. This is what changes societies. God in heaven, thank you so much for your love. 
I pray that Restoration Church, and it would start with myself and anyone else who's watching here, Lord, that we first would love you because of the love that you have demonstrated toward us. Thank you for loving your neighbor as yourself so that I could experience full restoration. Lord, now, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to love our, love you first, but to love our neighbor well. That our cities would change, that our societies, our culture would change. We need this desperately, God. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen.